1: Good afternoon everybody it is Wednesday in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania my name is Adam Bittner assistant sports editor for multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette joined for our weekly Penn State football show by Seth Engel of the Daily Collegian and the Post-Gazette um, after Penn State's uh, loss this, this is a very disappointing loss this past week at Ohio State Seth and I were both there we've talked a little bit about it on the YouTube channel already but we're going to get into some greater depth today um, Seth first of all how are you
0: I'm doing well. Yeah, things are are getting interesting now.
1: So I'm looking forward
0: to kind of breaking everything down and, and discussing, you know, where this program really goes from here.
1: Yeah, I think those are those are questions every Nittany Lions fans asking. So we're just going to get right into the big ones, Seth. Um, James Franklin held his weekly news conference Tuesday, expounded on the question that he was asked by Dave Jones of the Patriot News on Saturday of, you know, should people look at this loss as a referendum on you as a coach or one and nine against the Buckeyes? Um, it's yet another yet another loss in a big game. He kind of demurred, said, I'll, I'll be happy to talk about that later. Wasn't ready in the heat of the moment after the loss. Tuesday, he, he went a little bit further and said, yes, it's a fair it's fair for you to judge me based on our results, uh, but please look at all the results. I think he said, um, you know, that, that, you know, he has... Basically implying that he's done a lot of good things. Please to consider the whole body of work and not just these losses in big games. Um, and, and I think that's fair, Seth. I think you and I talked a little bit in the post game video. Lots of fans are are done with Franklin, want him to be fired, want to move on, feel like Penn State has reached its limit with him. Um, my opinion at the time, and my opinion remains, that you're going to have some chances to detour around Ohio State in these future seasons, even if you lose that game to Ohio State next year. It's going to be a lot easier to get into the playoff at 10 and two. And then maybe you you draw some different opponents and maybe you have a different path um, to getting down to eight, to getting down to four, and maybe down to two in the national championship game. Um, but I, how long do you, how long is that an out for him? You know, if, if you, if you have a couple of flameouts in the playoffs, how, how long does this body of work, um, you know, how, how long is that going to be satisfactory for people? Yeah, well, I think
0: I think my first kind of takeaway from the Fire Franklin narrative um, that's, that's built, you know, kind of progressively since Saturday night is that right now is not the time to do it. If there were a time, it would not be this year. Because if you fire him, then you have to pay him $64 million. And, um, you know, there's too many changes in college football right now. It doesn't make sense to fire a head coach when you're a borderline playoff team, um, the year before a 12-team playoff, so just getting that across. You know, with that being said, though, with a 12-team playoff on the horizon and and with these new Pac-12 teams coming to the Big Ten, providing you know a new schedule, uh, a new opponent base for Penn State to you know maybe succeed in, um, you got to give them a chance. That that's the bottom line. Is is you got to give him a chance in those new formats, um, test the waters a little bit, and if it doesn't work, you know maybe at that point you move on, um, because it has been you know, you know nine ten years now um, with Franklin and and he has shown, you know struggles when it comes to to beating Ohio State and Michigan consistently, but but the body of work thing is is fair, you know he has. He has checked the boxes of, of, of everything other than beating Ohio State and Michigan. Um, so maybe once you bring in some of these other Pac-12 teams like Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA, I know a few of them are, you know, losing some pretty premier pieces next year. You know, he might find some more success in that. So you kind of got to wait and see and and, and test the waters
1: yeah i'm I'm careful to lump Ohio State and Michigan together. I think Penn State's shown the ability to beat Michigan and that they recruited a similar level to Michigan. And Michigan's better right now, but there's been times that Penn State's been the better program. Um, you know, so I, I think that that you, you can make an argument that Penn State could be on a similar level to Michigan. It's just what has Michigan done that Penn State hasn't beat Ohio State? That's the that's the thing that Michigan has done the last couple of years that Penn State has not that I think separates the two programs right now. That's really the only big dividing line other than obviously Penn State lost on the field, but Penn State's lost to Michigan before. Penn State's beaten Michigan before. The thing that Michigan can do that Penn State can't is beat the Buckeyes, and that's why I think it was such a psychologically damaging loss um, on Saturday, more so than practically speaking. Practically speaking, they still have a path to the college football playoff. They can go beat Michigan. Um, Practically speaking, they have a pretty nice path to a 10-win season New Year's Six Bowl, and that's that's not a terrible outcome. Um, it's more about the psychology. Seth, do you think if if they weren't changing the the college football playoff format, that that we would have reached the end of the line here in in terms of people's patience with James Franklin? I kind of I kind of do, and I know that he has the buyout, and and that ultimately probably would prevent them from doing it. Mm-hmm. But I just walked away from the horseshoe on Saturday thinking. It it thank god things are changing for Penn State because otherwise I, I think they'd be in a really difficult position in terms of evaluating this program.
0: Yeah, I think um I think when he signed that contract extension, I think that was you know you know maybe a little a little you know safe haven in, in uh you know in in going into that 12 team format, um where you have a coach you know, is able to pump out these 10 win seasons, which we know could, could be a playoff team, you know, uh, in a 12 team format, if you're winning 10, maybe even nine games, you could, you could absolutely qualify for the playoff. Um, So I think Penn state saw that and, and, you know, saw his kind of willingness and, um, and passion for, for the Penn state program um, and, and ran with him. But to your point, you know, if, if there wasn't a 12-team format kind of on the horizon, um, James Franklin has failed in the 14 team format. You know, it hasn't worked. He's had good teams. He's had really good teams. This year especially was, you know, this is one of his, his better teams to date. Maybe maybe his most stacked roster. Um, and still, against a beatable Ohio State team, he is incapable of beating the Buckeyes. Um, so I think that's fair. Um, but the reality is there is a 12-team playoff, and, and you still got to give them a chance.
1: Ari Wasserman for The Athletic, Seth Rota, an interesting column this week basically saying, I mean, he's criticized Penn State for falling short in recruiting on the field. Um, he's been very critical of, of Penn State as a program, and Penn State fans have kind of come out to defend what they've done as a program. Because um, I think there are certainly – we talk about there's fans that would like to fire Franklin. I think there's a lot of fans that are pretty proud of of you know what Penn State has become um, you know, coming out of the Jerry Sandusky scandal. Um, so, do you think that we're holding Penn State to a of the wrong standard? Is there a limit for Penn State as a program, regardless of who's the coach? Um, you know, regardless of who the players are, is Penn State just a ten and two program? Is, is is that the high watermark? or or do you still look at this as like I think we've talked about this a couple different times? Is Maybe Penn State is a Clemson before Clemson really went nuclear and started winning national championships and making the playoff every year. It took them a while to go from that 9-10 win team to that 11-12-13 win team um, that that could win national championships. Where do you put Penn State on that spectrum right now?
0: Well, I will say that a 10-2 and team is going to have a completely new definition in in one year. Um, So if Penn State's a a 10-2 and team right now, you know, if they're able to keep doing that, and I'm, I'm really interested to see what what Penn State's able to do when they're not facing Ohio State and Michigan every year. Obviously, they've shown um, they're incapable to at beating Ohio State. I mean, it's seven straight now. They'll get them again next year and the year after. Um, I don't know if that's going to be another great matchup, especially when Penn State's losing, you know, a ton of pieces on the defense. Um, but I'm interested to see where they actually end up as a consistent 10 and two team. If they're able to put the pieces together and actually do it again next year and make it count. Um, You know, I think a better comparison for for Penn state where they're at right now is, is Georgia in the Mark Richt era. You know, I think it's, it's pretty similar to, you know, 10 and two seasons, nine and three, like these are good. I mean, I think, I think Georgia won two sec championships under Richt. which is good, but they hadn't really won a national championship or taken that next level into like the absolute elites of college football yet. Um, that was until Kirby Smart came along and, you know, changed that program as we know it today. Um, so I think a lot of people can look at that and say, okay, well, why doesn't Penn State do the same thing? Um, Franklin's been relatively mediocre. Where's our Kirby Smart? Um, The reality is that Kirby Smart is not just hanging around every corner. Um, It's hard to find a guy like that. It's hard to find a guy like Nick Saban. Um, The only way that you can fire Franklin, and this is again after you give him a chance in a twelve-team format, is if you have a surefire guy that you know can come in and contribute at a better pace than he did. And I just I think that that the risk completely outweighs the reward in terms of you know finding a coach who can do that. I think the history will will show you that there are a lot of a lot of blunders in, in that regard.
1: Well, and, and I'll even use Michigan as an example in this regard. People people thought that that Jim Harbaugh was, you know, the savior of of the Michigan program. And it took a long time even for him to get to that mountaintop. Um, you know, it, it wasn't something like he came in overnight and, and just got them there. And and I think that's probably the point that I'd reinforce is even if there is that that Kirby Smart, that Nick Saban, that maybe Jim Harbaugh character who has the ability to get the program to the next level. It's not going to be an overnight thing, um, especially at this level of the sport, um, you know, changing an entire program, staying that competitive, and then kicking it into another gear is going to be pretty difficult. Um, Seth, we got a lot more to talk about here. I just want to thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast before we get too far, uh, Voodoo Brewery and State College. Just in time for this change, in whether the crew at Voodoo Brewing and State College Located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, has launched their new seasonally inspired line of cocktails, including the crowd-favorite Hot Spiked Apple Cider. And that's not all. Beginning this Friday, October 13th, well, I guess that's in the past at this point, but beginning Friday, October 13th, the State College Pub now offers the grand opening of their new kitchen. The kitchen is now owned and operated by Voodoo Brewing and will feature more elevated pub fare made famous at their other Voodoo locations. They will continue to offer items like the lobster roll and crab cake sandwich that become have become synonymous with the state college pub as well. Um, Seth, something I talked a, a lot about with Jason Mackey, who was covering the game with us on Saturday in Columbus, was the talent disparity that still exists, especially at those top ends. Um, with like Penn State doesn't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. that can kind of take over a game like that. Um, they've missed on recruits like him, um, they've missed on, on several you know big time recruits, and that doesn't mean that. James Franklin hasn't done a lot for Penn State from a recruiting perspective. They weren't putting together classes like James Franklin does every year at the end of the Paterno era, certainly during the Bill O'Brien era that was affected by the, the sanctions. So I, I think James Franklin has moved them forward in that respect, but in terms of competing at a national championship caliber level and competing with the Ohio States of the world, I think they're still falling a little bit short in, in terms of following – in terms of beating Ohio State. Um what standards should we hold James Franklin to in recruiting? Is it should we be pleased with what he's done and and that he's he's taken steps forward, or is it valid to criticize and say, listen, in a, in a game of this magnitude, sometimes it just comes down to who has the best future pro. And and too often in this series with Ohio State, it's not been Penn State really since since Saquon Barkley left, and that's getting to be that's six years ago now.
0: Yeah, I think that Marvin Harrison Jr.'s performance on Saturday um kind of epitomized the fact that Penn State is good at recruiting but they are nowhere close to Ohio State. You know, Ohio State has been that powerhouse uh, recruiting team in the Big 10 for you know far too long and, and and Penn State, you know, as as well as they have recruited and people like to people like to tell Franklin, you know, you're a, you're a recruiting coach. Um, You can't win the big games, but you're going to recruit well every year. Franklin still isn't recruiting to the level that Ohio State is. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. is an in-state product. He wasn't even, you know, one of the top 50 prospects in the country coming out of high school. Um, That should have been a guy that was, you know, severely on Penn State's radar um, that they let slip out of their hands. And now you look at the receiving core that Penn State has now, and it's just, I mean, it's just there's there's a lack of talent. You know, I I look at the past couple of years in recruiting and I'm saying, OK, I mean, you talk about Saquon Barkley, but where is the Saquon Barkley of wide receivers? This is a team that was recruiting well at wide receiver for the past decade. What happened? I know Taylor Stubblefield was on his way out and, you know, you're changing up some things. You got a new you got a new position coach in there now um, and Marcus Hagens. But I mean, where where are the receivers? They had one receiver commit last year's Carmelo Taylor who I believe is one of the lone freshmen on this team who has not played a snap yet. So, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't tell me too much about about where they are in in, in the future of wide receiver. Um, And when we talk about next year and expectations and, you know, whether they're more equipped to make the playoff this year or next year, I mean, if wide receiver is your big hole this year, how, how good is this Penn State offense going to be when Keandre Lambert Smith is gone? You know, who's going to be your number one? What, Harrison Wallace, like I, it's just they have not recruited at the level I think at wide receiver that they absolutely should and need to, um, in order to compete with, with Ohio State, who's bringing in Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian Fleming and Ameka Ibuka and and Brandon Innes and all these guys. Who it's like all those four guys I just named would be the number one receiver on Penn State. So that I mean that's 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 my take on on Penn State's ability re- to recruit right now.
1: Yeah, and even go b- go back to Kaden Smith and Jigba, uh, Chris Olave. Right. Um, you know, Absolutely. They, they've had these home run guys that have been home run guys from the beginning. I think Penn State did a very nice job for uh, almost a decade of, of taking guys and turning them into good players. Um, you know, you think about Chris Godwin. What were the expectations for him? Alan Robinson, sure. what were the expectations for him? Um, you know, all these – Jahan Dotson. They all kind of matured into being great receivers, but none of them came in and you are like, that's their guy for the next four years. That's their guy for the next three years. There was no Derrick Williams type. I, when I think back in Penn State history, what's the closest thing you right. have to what Ohio State has? It was that trio of Jordan Norwood, Justin King, um, Derrick Williams, um, Dion Butler, you can throw into that, of, of guys that came in. You knew they were going to be Penn State's guys. You knew they were going to be dangerous. Um, they haven't really done that under Franklin, it, it bring in those caliber guys. They've developed well, but they haven't been getting those guys that you immediately know are the future of the program. And I think that's that's definitely a point of, of, of criticism um, when you're going up against, especially an Ohio State program, that I think for a lot of its history was not known for that, but now has mastered that and now has um, you know, made that the difference when you know especially competing against Penn State. And I think you, know, you can put Michigan in that category as well, even though they've lost to them the past couple of years. Um, Seth, I want to talk a little bit about those mistakes on that second quarter drive. Um, and how, you know, that I really think that they, they shaped the game and how I think that that is a a big issue too, is, is the coaching element, the, the, having your guys ready to play as complete a game as Ohio state has played against Penn state, um, to not make those key mistakes at the key times that determine games um you know I I don't know if it's fair to the defense to say in this one game while you let the team down you, you kept the defense kept the team in that game um but they did come unglued on that one drive that Ohio State scored the first touchdown on they took three penalties they wiped their own touchdown off the board and I think if you go back through the history of Penn State Ohio State you can find a you know four or five plays like that where Penn State just wasn't as good um and that's an old Joe Paterno quote. He would always say, you know, that, that there's only a few plays that determine the game and, and you need to be the team that makes them. Um, how much do you hold Franklin responsible for that? that 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 the team does seem to wilt even if it's just for a moment in in all the in all of the big spots that end up determining these games? How much does he deserve blame for that? Yeah, I mean,
0: there was absolutely a lack of execution. Um, you know, I think the major talking point from Franklin um, after the game and, and even on Tuesday was, you know, the lack of conversions on, on third down. You don't even need to look at the film to kind of see that. You know, it's one for 16 on the box score on third downs. That's, that's terrible. Um, so, I mean, when you talk about kind of being able to execute and um, – and, and when you have, you know, momentum in your favor um, and not being able to do anything with it, I mean, it was just a disastrous day for the offense in, in every single way. You know, the, the play calling was terrible. Aller was bad. The wide receivers couldn't get open. It, it was just, I don't know. But it, at the end of the day, when you're struggling like that and your defense is playing as well as, as it is, the coaching staff has to be able to find something this is this is an offense, you know. Mind you, that that was averaging over forty points a game before um, before Saturday, despite offensive struggles. So they made it work. Then it just to me it didn't look like they stick to the to the script. You know, it didn't. It it just didn't. It didn't look like that. You know, they had been playing this gritty style of offense and chipping away, and you know, run after run. You know, short yardage pass plays, and it was just. It was just anything but what they had done. You know, when you're in third and one situations, why are you passing the ball? With Drew Aller, who's, who's throwing, completing 18 of 42 pass attempts, why are you throwing the ball in third and one? Like, the tush push that they had used for the first six weeks had worked so well and was, you know, essential in, in converting those four, converted four fourth downs against Iowa um and and convo- and converting in those in those short yardage situations i know there weren't a ton of those because most of them were third and longs but when you are put in that situation you shouldn't be passing every time which they did do it was i don't know it's it's it was a combination of so many things and it was an absolute mess on saturday
1: yeah, there was a coaching mess, and 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 you know, but even despite that, you still had a chance to win the game, but but you made those huge mistakes, and and there weren't turnovers this time like there were last season, but it was the turnovers last year at Beaver Stadium that you know took a game that you were winning and and took it out out of hand, and and I think you know that's that's something that that he really has to answer for is is why are his teams not mature enough to consistently. Um, at least not make those mistakes. Listen, if you, if you don't make the big mistakes and you still lose the game, I think people can live with that. But when you look at a, a sequence like that where you take three penalties and you come unglued and you lose by eight points and there was a 14-point swing, there's there's really nowhere else you can point, even though they did struggle offensively and even though you do want to see more out of the offense. Um, I, I, I still think that drive really determined the game because if you – Don't get that holding penalty. If you do score that touchdown, you're winning. Suddenly you put Ohio State under pressure in a way that that you were under pressure the rest of the game. So, um, you know, I I think that's something that he's going to have to rectify if if Penn State's going to to make any progress. Um, I want to get a little bit into something you mentioned earlier, Seth, which was how much difference do you think the schedule can really make for Penn State? These teams that are coming into the Big Ten are not going to be easy matchups by any means. Oregon and Washington are two of the best teams in the country right now. They played a classic last week. Um, and granted, I know that they're both losing guys next year, and they may not be those same teams, but they're they're very solid programs, and there's every reason to believe that they're going to reload on a relatively consistent basis. USC, I think, is underachieved this season, but is always going to be able to get the, the players that it wants from the West Coast. Um, it, it's not going to be easy do you look at do you look at them and say oh man they're adding like three more ohio states to the big 10 or do you say well penn state's beaten utah in a rose bowl penn state's beaten washington in a fiesta bowl penn state's beaten memphis in a cotton bowl it gave usc all it could handle in that rose bowl in 2016 um, do you look at those games and say really there could be a path for penn state here that that it's just a bad matchup with ohio state that You know, you might have in in other playoff formats, you might have a way around in the NFL. You know, the Steelers found a way around the Patriots a couple of times to win Super Bowls. Um, They didn't have to beat Tom Brady, Uh, they beat Peyton Manning once. But I think on the other Super Bowl run, they didn't have to face him either. Do you kind of look at this as as maybe a similar situation where even if Penn State's not always the best program in the country, maybe the path sets up for you in a particular year that you can make a run and and win those matchups? because you're better suited to them than you are to facing Ohio State.
0: I'm not sure there's a single team in the country who's benefited more by an expanded conference and an an expanded playoff than Penn State. Um, I think that they are just happy to be getting as far away as possible from playing Michigan and Ohio State in the same season, because it hasn't worked. I mean, we we said this before, Penn State has had some great teams, some really great teams, and Franklin will tell you that. Um, Not elite teams, but they were great. And they are still incapable of making that fourteen playoff um, when they're when they're playing Ohio State and Michigan in the same year. With that being said, I mean Penn State beat the Pac-12 champs last year in the Rose Bowl. It's possible if they were in the Pac-12 last year, they would have won the whole thing and probably gone to the, to the playoff. Um, you know, I, I look at you at UCLA, Washington, USC um, teams that have been relatively competitive at times. I know USC. I mean, USC and Washington are probably in a separate category than UCLA right now. But uh, I just think Penn State is a better program. You know, I think that they are, are well-rounded. I think that Washington is going to struggle without Michael Penix. Um, I think USC is still trying to figure out exactly what it wants to do with itself. Um, obviously a good offense, but, I mean, their defense has been atrocious. Um, so when you have Penn State, which has struggled offensively, and that's really what's holding them back right now, Good defense every year. When you're matching up with USC, you know I'm taking Penn State every time. Um, I think USC has has really struggled and has not lived up to to certain expectations. I think Washington has exceeded expectations and is probably in a better spot than USC is um, entering the Big Ten next year. But you know, if I'm Penn State, I am looking forward to next year. That is, that's I, I know the team. There's going to be some question marks with with people leaving. The defense is going to look different. The offense is. Uh, you know, potentially the same, um, but I, I just think that Penn State is in a better position to uh, to do some damage with with those teams coming in next year.
1: So I don't want to get back to the the receivers briefly here. How much uh, do you think that th- that that problem is holding this offense back, um, and how much do you think it affects the the Drew Aller conversation because? Um, you know, I was one of the people last season who saw Drew, the throws Drew Aller was able to make and said, put that guy in against Ohio state and Michigan. If they lose, they lose. Uh, but I thought that they didn't have a great chance of beating those teams with Clifford. And it it turned out that they did not. Um, and and I thought he, he, Drew Aller has the ability to make the throws that, that Sean Clifford can't make that can win games. And the Drew Aller we saw on Saturday at Ohio state was not that guy. And I wonder to what degree it, it's it's about the receivers not getting separation to put him in position to like make the throws that that I was wanting to see him make last year that I think he could have made last year with the weapons that they had around him at the time. Um, how how do you evaluate Aller and the receivers and and where the blame for how this offense looks? Because um, I put I honestly put it squarely on the receivers. I think I don't think it, Drew Aller changed. I think he still has the arm to make those throws we've seen it at different points this year i think about that one throw across the field at illinois um and and, and he just hasn't had the the opportunity to make those throws because these receivers aren't setting him up to do that that's at least my, how i'm diagnosing it
0: yeah i'll start with my uh little little thing on uh true aller here um i think aller's been you know relatively efficient um, in the first six games, you know, he hasn't thrown an interception, um, Ohio state came around and it was just, I mean, that was a different Drew Aller than, than we had seen. It's not like he had been amazing by any means in the first half of the year, but Saturday, you know, he struggled, you know, he struggled mightily. And I think, you know, the blame, you know, is put on the receivers and, and the play calling, but it was also, you know, some of that is on him because there were opportunities, um, You know, there were open receivers at times that he just couldn't hit. Either he threw a missile from short yardage and it kind of just ricocheted off their hands, or he threw it behind them, or he overthrew his receivers. And, you know, there were some, some clear struggles on Saturday that we have seen pretty consistently on the road this year. Um, He's been okay at home, um, hasn't been phenomenal by any means, but he's been winnable. You know, he's a winnable quarterback at home. And then you get on the road and it's been, um, a relative disaster for him. And I think Saturday really just summed that up with that being said, the receivers are terrible. I mean, it's, we're just going to put that across there right now. I don't think that's a secret. It was a question mark in the off season. It was a question mark in week two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven. And especially this week, it was, it was awful. You know, you can't Ohio state was down their number one cornerback in Denzel Burke and Penn state still couldn't get any separation. Kendre Lambert Smith, your your big play guy, and you know he's getting, you know, a, kind of a break not having to be covered by Burke here, and and he wasn't really able to get too open, and if he was, um, Aller wasn't doing a great job at hitting him. I think Lambert Smith was targeted like twelve times, um, did not end up with with many receptions at all, and that supporting cast really hasn't done it either um highlight of the game Caden Saunders garbage time touchdown will we see more playing time from him maybe I don't know it's so inconsistent with who they're playing at wide receiver one second it's Malik McLean the next second he's not taking a snap in two weeks Dante Seafist is not living up to you know kind of what he was in the offseason it's it's a mess at at receiver it really is Franklin will tell you that they're lacking talent there and they do not have the pieces to uh make a developing Drew Aller successful in year one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of getting back to like the, the compare like every Penn state quarterback misses throws against Ohio state. And, and so, yeah, I I mean, I think you have to expect that, especially for a guy, you know, a sophomore making his first start against a team of this caliber on the road. Um, You know, I, I just feel like they're not getting, they're not able to use Drew Aller to the best of his abilities because of the personnel around him. And, and, Um, you know, I think that's a huge indictment of, of your program, considering the guys you've, you've had, I I think Seth, if they have last year's receivers, I think they win that game on Saturday. I think if they have any Penn state group of receivers going back to Allen Robinson, they win that game on Saturday. Um, that's how big the disparity for me is. And, um, you know, it almost makes you think of like, um, the Hackenberg years at, at, at times where, um, you know, if, those, if those, those number one guys weren't open, there just was not a whole lot else going on.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point, too, is especially when you look at Ohio State, which is like, it's not like Kyle McCord is phenomenal by any means, and he didn't have a great game. Um, but when you have a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, Allen Robinson isn't exactly Marvin Harrison, but it's similar when you have a guy that you can just kind of chuck it up to. And if it's not a good throw, like, they're so good, they're going to find a way to bring it down. Uh Penn State is severely lacking that. Jahan Dotson was that, you know. For I, I remember, you know, a number of of Clifford overthrows that Dotson was just able to bring down. I think the Ohio State one-hander from uh, whatever it was, 2020, um, on Sean Wade. I think that's a good example of of something Penn State does not have right now. Um, I don't know what Parker. I Parker Washington's over in Jacksonville right now, but if he were back in Penn in, in the Happy Valley. Um, Penn State would have a major break and things may have gone a little
1: differently on uh, on Saturday. Even a guy like Mitchell Tinsley, Seth. I mean, yeah. he, I think he was fairly <laughs> ordinary, but like compared to these guys, like, he, you know, I think he would have made a huge difference.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: He, I mean, he was just solid.
0: You know, it's like Penn State is lacking a guy who's even solid right now. Like he Lambert Smith is.
1: That's what we were hoping yeah. from, from Dante Cephas, right? I mean, that's what you, right. you thought you were doing is, is going out and getting another Mitchell Tinsley. I think that's a, a huge miss.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like they're not even looking for someone to really – I mean, when it comes to those two or three guys, you know, after Keandre Lambert Smith, they're not looking for a guy to like, okay, be Alan Robinson now. It's like, be okay. Like, get open for your 19-year-old quarterback. Um, and that just hasn't been the case at all. Um, it's, it's funny to me because Franklin said it again yesterday with, when talking about the number three receiver after Wallace and keontre Lambert Smith, you know, he said again, we're looking, they're all competing. There's a big group that's competing with each other and no one's separating themselves from the pack. I'm like, it is, it has been seven games and you are saying the same exact thing that you were saying in, in the preseason before week one. So the fact that nothing has changed there is a huge problem, um, and might add actually be what would ultimately hold Penn State back from the playoff this year.
1: Yeah. And, and I think what you're saying, that really points to a lack of development as well. Granted, I mean, these guys are probably not as, as highly recruited as what Ohio state had, but Penn state has had the ability to develop the fact that you're not. And the fact that we're this late in the season is, is definitely a concern. Um, Seth, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I think this, I hope this was a good therapy session for uh, a lot of disgruntled Penn state fans. We'll um, we, we really didn't talk about Indiana at all. I, I don't know that there's a whole lot to talk about that's the 31 and a half point favorites. Um, you know, I think now it's, it's all about waiting for Michigan again to see if anything, anything can change. Um, any final thoughts before we sign off here?
0: Yeah. I mean, if they don't beat Indiana, um, then, then we'll start talking about fire Franklin. I'm not on board right now, but if they lose to Indiana, then then we'll definitely, uh, chat
1: about that. They don't have Michael Penix. So I think there's reasonably reason, of, reason <laughs> to be helpful. Right. So, uh, all right, Seth. Thanks for thanks for stopping by. Um, everyone else, make sure you stay tuned. Um, we had the North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter earlier today. Make sure you check that out for all of your Steelers talk as they get ready to face the Jaguars. I'll be back with Paul Zeiss tomorrow. We'll be talking a little bit a little bit about Penn State, but also about receivers. Believe it or not, we'll be talking about the Steelers receivers, Allen Robinson, who we've mentioned several times in this show, um, and Calvin Austin the third. Can they uh, live up to expectations? Um, For now, though, I'm going to sign off. Please subscribe. Please like this video if you enjoyed it. Help us out in the algorithm, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette.